This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products in lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. All right, welcome back to Design Driven, everyone. My name is Jay, and I am pleased to have Kathy Fisher. She is our design director at Nine Labs, and she's been deeply working with design systems and related things for quite some time, both uh, here at Nine Labs and at previous uh, places like Epic and uh, a few others that I think she could mention. Kathy, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um... Yeah, I'm happy. I'm always excited to talk about design systems. It's one of my my personal favorite topics. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting how many more people are talking about design systems these days. You know, we've been talking about them for years, and uh, it, it's become much more commonplace. It's become a thing that a lot of companies have decided to invest in. But um, you know, as you've seen and 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 I've seen, a lot of those investments aren't paying off necessarily the way people wanted them to or were hoping that they would. And um, it seems that the number one reason that this this isn't working out for some companies is that they're just not implementing it correctly. They're not thinking about it the right way, which is why we decided to have this conversation today. Um, and that really doesn't come down to the design system. It comes down to how they're running the design operations and how they're running the business and how they're using the design system. So, so what are you seeing? You're closer to it than I am. What are you seeing? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the sort of trend I've seen and obviously design systems, you know, over the past decade or so has been an emerging field. And I think understanding of what the right way um, to go about them is, has been developing as we've, you know, through trial and error, right? There's been a lot of uh, attempts that have, have had varying degrees of success at different businesses. And so what I've seen often is, especially um, when you're talking about a, you know, relatively small design team at a, at a company that might not be super high on the design maturity scale, you know, the design team will be like, design systems would be great. We need it so much. You know, our software is so inconsistent or it was, you know, it's it's all, all over the place in terms of what components are used. There's no, um, you know, visual unity. The branding's kind of all over the place. And they're like, well, we know design systems are a thing. We need to do that. Right. The design system or the design team itself will will say, well, go ahead and start building that design system out and, you know, coming up with all of their official recommendations and specifications and, you know, component libraries and things like that. And then once they have that, they'll show it to the developers and be like, here. Yeah, here, use this. Yeah, exactly. We fix the problem. And yeah. then a lot of development teams, well, first of all, right, they they've got a full plate of enhancements and features and bug fixes that they need to work on. And there's no room in there that's like revamp the entire UI right. <laughs> to use this new design system. And right. secondly, a lot of times it's like, well, you know, this doesn't match the tools we're using. Like this isn't easy to implement the way that we're, we're building things now or any number of reasons why the thing that the designers imagined and thought of and might be super great doesn't work in practical reality of, of what the actual code looks like. So that's the the first speed bump that I see happen most often. Yeah. 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 And, and as an example, you know, we've, we've had a client recently that um, the idea was, well, let's just take Microsoft's fluent UI system and just adopt it. 
And it's not always that easy. Like you can't just take Bootstrap off the shelf and change a couple colors and call it a design system. Yeah. Um, one thing that we have seen be successful is instead of just thinking about what color buttons should be and, and how drop down should work and all of that stuff first is uh, go to the developers and say, where are you spending the most time implementing UI and how can we make that easier? Because mm -hmm. then you get developers on your side and you're actually helping them solve a problem. Because in, in my experience, you know, I, let me think back over the last 30 years, I don't know maybe one of the hundreds of developers that I've ever worked with that actually cared what the button looked like. They just want it to work. They yeah. just want it to do the thing it's supposed to do. So if we make it easier for developers to do their job and as an extension of that, make the interface, the, the cosmetics of it consistent, that's a much better approach than just doing the top down, here's what everything should look like, go figure out how to make it work. I think even even so, not even just like not caring what the button looks like, but one thing that I ran into at Epic is we had you know very complex data dense screens that you know very carefully engineered, uh, laid out so that we could fit the maximum amount of content on the screen because that's how doctors like to consume information a lot of the time. And you know, as a simple change to our design system, one thing we just wanted was to switch the font on the buttons. Right? It was using right. real previously we just wanted a more modern font that we had a little bit more control over. Um, but changing to the font we wanted slightly changed the line height of the uh, that was on the, that was on the buttons. Basically, it right. caused the buttons to be you know one to two pixels taller than they were. The cascading effect of that broke hundreds of screens. Yeah, <laughs> something that the designers never would have even imagined. Right. Right. And it came down almost to then you know after realizing that, realizing the implications, having to go do tons of fixes everywhere of just. Wow, a step that we need to take when we're making design system changes is something as simple as, you know, go to a developer, ask them to make the change and verify if sizing doesn't change. Right. And come up with rules about like if we want to make sweeping changes that are retrospective to the entire system, we can't change the sizing. So that was like a parameter you could work within, but also one that we never would have thought of from a design perspective, because when you're in Figma or XD or whatever and you're just tweaking fonts. It doesn't cascade and affect everything else in the same way that it does when you're actually coding something. Right, and you might not see things presented in the same kind of uh, um, dimensional limitations that you would in the real world because of the screen size or, or whatever other constraints you might have when someone's actually trying to use this thing to perform a task in real life. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so another thing that we've seen is not paying attention to or just disregarding kind of the historical limitations of the tech stack or uh, thinking about how to implement something in the specific language that um, that, that the legacy systems use. So it's, it's kind of nice to come in and say, oh, we've got this nice clean CSS stack. Well, mm -hmm. how are you actually going to get that into the application? Um, for web apps, it's relatively easy. But what if you've got something that also has to display on on native apps or something that uh, that does not run on the typical web stack? Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got developers super frustrated, like we can't even like we can't interpret this. We can't even figure out how to use this. Yeah, and I think the the sort of new emerging field that's trying to address that right is the realm of design tokens. You know, yep. having a uh, JSON file that's got all the specs for all the controls that could be consumed by everything. 
I, my sense is, you know, there are some tools that are are allowing design tokens to be kind of the source of truth, both in the design and the development side. They still feel pretty young and underdeveloped to me. And I think that's the field that's going to explode probably in the next five years is like, we need to, we need to focus in, right? We need to have like one source of truth. We can't be doing this, you know, game of telephone between, you know, right. design comps to, to, you know, one tech stack to another tech stack, right? That's just not sustainable. It's not good for, for these types of scenarios. Right. It, and developers tend to um, adopt that concept a little bit more easily because they're used to working with things like variables and, uh, and you know, kind of common um, libraries of, of data. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily easier for them to implement. Mm. And every time you bring a new tool to the table, people have to figure out how to use that tool. So one of the things that slows down the adoption of design systems is, is a design team coming in and saying, hey, here's this whole new set of stuff mm -hmm. that you guys have to figure out how to use or that the organization has to figure out how to use as a whole because that just creates friction. So instead of doing that, we need to think about how do we use the existing technologies and just build standards around way things that can be that should be done without introducing a whole new toolkit yeah i mean i think the barrier for any new toolkit has to be does the the additional friction and the additional pain of learning this new thing um balance out the the amount of benefit that it's adding right if it if it's you know a little bit of a barrier to entry but it's going to solve this huge problem that everyone is running into people will generally tend to adopt it, you know, after some transition period. Right. But a lot of times it's just like, I'm adding a new thing on top of thing. Another thing you have to worry about or another, you know, checkbox you have to check in the process of finishing this thing, which, you know, I, I think it's, it comes down to, you know, user-centered design the same way we'd want to do it for, for designing for our end users is we need to design for our teams and our developers in the same way, right? Like understand right. what their needs are, what their pain points are, you know, the way they, they like to work and then, you know, design a solution that fits in elegantly with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in a way it comes back to, um, you know, it's kind of the fundamental psychology that humans use to make decisions, exchange theory, mm -hmm. is that the reward has to be greater than the effort. Mm -hmm. And if it's easier to continue doing things the way that it's been done and the, the pain of doing it that way uh, is not significant enough, then people are just going to keep doing it that way, even if it's not the right way, even if it's not the best way. You have to consider, are we making this easy enough for developers and other designers to adopt and use? Is, is it easier than doing it the old way? Um, the promise of the payoff is, is, is generally there, but it's not always clear enough and it's not always uh, tangible enough to make that additional effort of learning a new tool or, or remembering to go to that new documentation website worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So how do, we, how do we position it that way so that it is worthwhile? Yeah. I mean, I think another thing too is, you know, one of the the big operational struggles that I think a lot of organizations face is communication between, you know, all of the silos. You know, the design silo, um, development silo, to product, to business, all those pieces. And essentially, what you you want is something where everyone's incentives are aligned, right? Where everyone is is being graded on the same metrics right, right. <laughs> you don't want it to be something where developers are only incentivized by creating the fewest number of new bugs and right. designers are only incentivized by making the most attractive piece of software because those are automatically going to be in competition with each other um, right 
Well, and, and still subjective. Like what exactly. is what does most attractive mean? Exactly. Yeah. And it's if it's most attractive as judged by, you know, the C suite or users or someone, you know, who's not not involved in the development process directly, then that often will then just put people automatically in conflict with each other because designers are like, I was told that this button needs to be purple and have this style <laughs> because the CEO really likes it. Right. Right. And right. then, you know, if that doesn't fit into any of the rest of the infrastructure we have, then that can cause conflict. Exactly. Conflict. And anytime you have that kind of subjectivity in how you're being measured, um, it, it just introduces a tremendous amount of risk. So the, the, the better way to go about it is to think about um, how can we make sure that we have implemented this in a way that actually achieves a, a better outcome for the person using the application. And that might be measured in uh, time to completion, that might be measured in fewer support tickets, that might be measured in a bunch of different ways, but it has to be quantitative. Yeah. And it sort of comes down to, you know, treating that design system and any change related to it as, as a product that has its own set of KPIs, yep. right? And we want to make sure that everything meets those KPIs and everyone's on board of like, these are the things we've agreed upon as being important. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go next is, you know, it's, it's very common for companies to think about their IT departments and it's like, oh, we've got a database team or we've got an infrastructure team or we've got networking teams. We've got these people that are in charge of making sure that these systems are maintained and that they're healthy and they uh, operate uh, according to certain standards, but it's less common for companies to think about design systems in that way. And they really should. They really should have a team. They treat it like a product. It's a thing. It's a living thing that exists inside the company that helps support all these product development efforts. And there needs to be a dedicated team of people. That could be one person. It could be 100, depending on the size and complexity of the system, of course. But there needs to be somebody who's in charge of making sure the thing stays alive and stays healthy. Mm -hmm. And that person or that team is also responsible for going out to the people who are consuming and using the design system and understanding what their pain points are and and solving for them and helping to make sure that this is a thing that supports the growth and the efficient development of of the application not just some web page that lives somewhere that people point to when uh, a button is the wrong color it also sort of speaks to that you know, here's this resource that we point to, to, to tell someone they did something wrong versus right. making something that is a, a useful tool. And I know at least one school of thought for design system building is it should be incremental and only thing as things are being developed. So Correct. it would never be a spec for a button color until that has already been built in the system. And it's a piece of code that is in production that you can point to and say, do it just like this guy over here did it or use the same, you know, whatever, for whatever JavaScript framework you're using that same component out of the component library. Right, right, or a variant of it. Mm -hmm. So when we've seen these systems work well, uh, and I'm thinking about a couple projects that we've done over the past couple of years where um, it started kind of small, it started as an implementation of all we're going to do is make all of our fonts consistent or make all of our colors consistent. That's that's round one. Mm -hmm. And then it iterates through and, and slowly grows into this larger organism. 
what do business leaders need to do to make sure that design systems get implemented properly and that they're actually an effective tool for the organization? Yeah. So number one, obviously, is staff that team, whatever that that design systems team or that, you know, foundation core controls team um, and actually, you know, give them the resources they need in terms of manpower, time, whatever, to actually do the work. And then I think the second thing is, you know, if you have any kind of um, executive or sales team, you know, reviews of the system, like if you're, you know, about to ship a feature and you're doing, you know, final checks, um, having those people at least be aware of the design system and knowing generally what it looks like enough that they could be able to call out if they see something that is a violation of it or is not following it and either ask the question of like, well, why did we choose to do this or right. to go back and fix this? Right. Like having just, and you know, they don't have to be complete masters have like encyclopedic knowledge of the entire design system. They just have to be able to have like enough of an eye to recognize when something looks a little wonky yep. and know that the design system exists as a thing that they can keep reinforcing to the development team, especially if you have a development team that's maybe outsourced or one that doesn't, you know, spend all their time working on your thing, or is maybe, you know, comprised of both backend developers and front-end developers who might just not be thinking about it, might not have the eye for it. Yeah. Uh, just having someone beyond just designers who can, you know, be banging that drum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It helps to have a representative, it, depending on the size of the organization, representative from the brand or the marketing team involved in the process from the very beginning um, just to make sure that things like compliance with global brand standards or compliance with um, whatever your 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 marketing uh, look and feel is is consistent if you're in a small organization you know, that could be one person and that maybe that one person runs all of the the, the cosmetics for the entire organization. They, they handle the brand, they handle all the marketing stuff, they handle the design system stuff. That seems like a really heavy load for one person, uh, but in a startup organization, that might make sense. Mm -hmm. In the kind of companies that we work with, usually there's somebody from marketing who may also have a, a lens into or some control over brand standards. There's somebody from the business team who is really caring about uh, getting this product to market, getting this next thing out um, to beat a competitor or to make it for some event um, that could have some seasonality to it. Somebody from engineering or the development side of the house to make sure that that's represented. And then somebody from a, uh, you know, the design team that's really thinking about UX or and UI. Those are the people you need to be at the table in order for a design system to have all the representation needed to be successful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have all those people at the table, the risk of getting some distance down the road and realizing that you've made a mistake increases with time. You know, we don't want to be, you know, six months into developing a design system and then somebody from the marketing team comes by and says, oh, we don't, we don't use that font anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You won't, don't want to have to go into the rework phase because reworking a design system is always like the most painful. You have to have all those voices at the table. It doesn't necessarily have to be individual people, but you have to have all those voices at the table and make sure that each of those voices is heard and accounted for as the design system is being implemented. If not, then you don't have good communication across those disciplines and the design system will fail at some point. Yeah. I think the other benefit of having 
all of those people at the table is those people then become the evangelists for the design system to the rest of their team that's not directly involved. That's right. Like if you have one person on the marketing team who's super psyched about the design system or you know, a couple of developers who are, oh my God, the design system's great. You know, I built it and we should all use it. Like those people being able to go to their teams and speak to them in their own language with their own, you know, <laughs> distinct priorities in mind is yep. valuable. It's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. An example of that is is one of our clients has grown by acquisition. They they buy businesses for their specific um, uh, apps or some some IP and then kind of roll that into their platform. And we've been working with them on a design system for a while. And there was a time that uh, our contact there came to us and said, you know, it was really interesting. Last week we had a meeting where this, this uh, team who's been working on a product we acquired a year ago was struggling with something to do with the implementation of the UI. And one of the folks from one of the other teams that we had also acquired said, well, you know, they there's this whole design system thing that that, that you could use. And it was like a light went off. And mm -hmm. then suddenly that team uh, was re-energized to do this implementation because now they a lot of the questions they had on how to implement specific UI things uh, to be consistent with the mothership, so to speak, uh, a lot of those questions just got solved automatically. Yeah. I mean, the, the benefit really of a, a great robust design system is it takes so much of a burden off of developers to do the things that they that are repetitive and boring and, you know, very fiddly <laughs> that a lot of them don't want to do, right? That's right. That's Most right. developers, they want to work on like the actual logic, the functional stuff. They want to work on backend things, performance, like all the stuff that is involves a lot of deep thought and a lot of like really, you know, nitty gritty logic. They don't want to figure out like what is the right way to do the hover state on this button so that it brings up a bubble that has the little carrot on the right side. I mean, some developers do. Some front-end developers like really love that stuff, but the vast majority don't. Yeah, when we're thinking so, about application developers, they're 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 really uh, really involved in the analytical side of you know, how does the thing work. The what does the thing look like doesn't really factor into their thinking unless it's just grotesquely broken mm -hmm. and um, a lot of frustration with designers is that you know they're they're primarily focused on cosmetics and and to some point depending on the field of design the interaction and you know how things look and feel to um, and they get immensely frustrated when things don't look right and in order for those two mindsets to be able to communicate and work together effectively, there has to be a bridge. And part of the promise of a design system is being that bridge. But if it doesn't speak either language and if it doesn't do a good job of, of bridging that gap, because those two teams don't communicate with each other about the problems they're trying to solve, then the design system will fail. Yeah. And even <laughs> they're one of the, the maybe most overlooked or sort of undervalued, but actually like, huge champions of a good design system is literally speak the same language, have the same names for components on both sides. Right. Yeah, exactly. It can be so hard just to get both designers and developers to agree to call a thing by the same name. But once you do, it's like, it's magic, right? Because the designer can say, you know, this thing that's named X in my Figma file is literally the exact component that I want you to use that's also named X right. in, in your code. Right, right. Yeah, and somebody has to be there to negotiate that discussion because people are going to want to call things different things. 
-hmm. and naming things is notoriously hard. And so that's another case where you need somebody who owns the design system as a product and is the negotiator between those different teams to help them find agreement on what to call things and, and how to refer to things and where the documentation should be and what it should contain and so on. Oh man, yeah, documentation is a whole whole of worms, right? But, but also critically important. Yeah, I mean, it, design systems don't really exist without good documentation. Exactly. Yeah, and somebody has to run that. Well, so I guess to, to summarize things, in order for a design system to be successful, we can't think of it just as a, a tool, like a Band-Aid, you stick on top of things that it just automatically works. It has to be implemented by somebody who, uh, who understands what the problems are uh, for developers, who understands what the problems are for designers, and who understands what the problems are for the business and can reconcile those three things and, and facilitate a discussion between those different teams to make sure that what's being built solves for those problems. Yeah, absolutely. It's fundamentally, it's never going to be a thing that you just do and then you're done. You can, you know, wipe your hands and move on to the next thing. It right. is a an ongoing project that is integral to operations. It is in, it's intimately tied to all of your operational, you know, functionality of how everyone relates. And uh, but it can add so much value once you do it that way. Right. And if the organization isn't willing or able to make that type of commitment, then a design system is not going to be a, a meaningful answer for them. Exactly. Right. And if they, they don't know how to do that, if they don't have the, the internal resources to do that, then that's when they should look to, to an external team or, or uh, external resources to help them do that implementation. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, just having someone who can who can hold your hand and walk you through the process would be really valuable. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, well, I, I know you've got a busy day. I've got a busy day. I'm looking at my calendar ahead. So um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, just that I, I think that everyone should have a design system, and I think everyone should do it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. All right. Well, Kathy, thanks for your time. Um, it's been a great conversation. I look forward to the next one, and uh, have a great day. All right. Thanks for having me, Jay. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.